She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. In search of... The man who would not die. I 100% thought this episode was going to be about Rasputin, by the way. I was going to say, you would think it might be about Rasputin, but it's not. It is not about Rasputin. Yep, you would have thought that, though, possibly. If you if you came in blind, you would think, oh, this is going to be about Rasputin. Mm-hmm. So, Which is exactly not. what I thought. It was, however, written and produced by Nicholas Webster. It was edited by Art Stafford, with assistance by Lawrence Ross. The series is hosted and narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And this episode originally aired on Saturday, December 31st, 1977. <gasps> new Year's Eve. Ooh, ushering in the new year with information about immortality. Whoa. So we see this old timey dude and he's running into a carriage and there's a dog barking. And then the carriage takes off and the horses are at full gallop. And then we get narration. France, 1760. The wonder man of Europe runs for his life. No records exist of his birth, death, or true identity. He was considered a genius in art, music, politics, and alchemy. Although he looked 40, many believed he was at least 150 years old. He called himself the Count of St. Germain. Others called him... The man who would not die. Whoa. Dun, 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 dun. There are people in contemporary America who believe that St. Germain is very much with us. Although he was most prominent 200 years ago, they believe he has never died and never will. In search of the man who would not die. (laughs) So, yep. And then, of course, theory and conjecture. Yes. Yeah. I was really, really looking forward to this episode for reasons I'll explain afterwards. But then it took a turn. Then I'm going to get hot later. That's just going to happen. So be warned. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Also, I learned that I kind of have a personal connection to the part that's going to make me hot. Which is oh, crazy. so that is sometimes research will bite you in the ass. You have to be careful. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that makes me hot is not that this was not about Rasputin, as we mentioned earlier. Although you would maybe think that just with the title. The title alone makes you think Rasputin, just because I think that is more of a. Because the man who would not die sounds like someone you can't kill. Not someone yeah, who Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. No, it sounds like he, people are actively out to kill him and he's not yeah. dying. Which <laughs> like maybe is he was you know, poisoned, to stabbed, shot, drowned, and just wouldn't die or something, but no. So, yeah, it's just, <laughs> he was mortal, apparently. So, yeah. Very strange. Very strange title for this one, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This whole episode is weird. Some of it I love, some of it I don't love, but it's weird. Yeah. Mm, yeah. We'll get into that. <laughs> So we open at the Court of Versailles in 1756. The Count of St. Germain was a welcome guest of Louis XV. He was a man of wealth and obvious breeding. He was a brilliant violinist, accomplished painter, and his knowledge of ancient history made listeners wonder if he had actually experienced the events he related to them. 
he probably said we a lot or whatever the French for we is like we we not yes we so yeah it's a new new no <laughs> no news of all uh news of all histoire i don't know what i'm saying we have the history <laughs> yeah i looked it up afterwards but i figured you would know so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, your frenchy knowledge doing my duolingo review every day so yeah plus i didn't get to say wee oui, wee oui, so there you go yeah Saint Germain fascinated the elite of France, including Voltaire, Madame Pompadour, hairdo fame. Who was she? Was a hairdo fame. She was also King Louis's consort, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously King Louis himself. Mm -hmm. The guy playing Voltaire kind of looks like Beethoven from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. At least in this shot, when you see closer up, he's kind of older. But just I think it's because he's wearing like the same color jacket and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and then the acting and the accent by king louis when he's talking is not good at all because we're gonna get some some acting a lot here. of acting role playing yeah there's a lot of role playing in this <laughs> they episode. did this episode <laughs> like it was a documentary only these are historical and figures to, like king louis and stuff yeah <laughs> so funny i actually thought that was kind of great because it's just so ridiculous you're like what is happening <laughs> well there's a part that we'll talk about later where like the guy is talking and then leonard nimoy is like well, did you, were, and the guy's like, well, no, I didn't. It's like, oh my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're, they're interviewing historical figures. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of that episode of like, I, I think it's The Office. It might be Parks and Rec, but where they have like the Ben Franklin impersonator and he comes in and he just like talks like he is Ben Franklin and people ask him questions. And he's, I don't know. That's what it reminded me of. I think it's The Office. I'm not yeah, sure though. I'm just like, whew, man. Anyway. <laughs> They're trying out some different stuff in season two. So they really are. They're getting a little yeah. off the rails. In search of is like, you know what we need to do? Make yeah. this more exciting. Yeah. We're talking about a guy who is possibly immortal, which is boring. So let's make sure we have someone pretend to be King Louis. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. In India, Saint Germain is claimed to have learned how to remove flaws from diamonds and change base metals to gold which would have negated the need for anyone to look for the lost Dutchman mine if we could just make gold, which we learned we cannot do. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least there are connections between these episodes. That's nice. So. Yeah. Maybe we'll find a connection between everyone. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, it would. Do a throwback yeah. each time. He was also rumored to have possessed a magical elixir of life. Whoa. Yeah. Pretty exciting stuff. And then we see Leonard Nimoy. And holy shit, he's got like a deep red velvet jacket on. And like he's got this cravat that's either maybe paisley or like some kind of design. So he is, um, yeah. Looking fancy. Looking fancy. Hanging out on the center of Versailles as well. So, yeah. He's <laughs> dressed up, I guess. <laughs> He was ready to step in if they needed someone to fill in for one of the actors. He's, he's gone back to – he looked like last episode when he was just like in his jeans and his shirt and all that kind of stuff. He looked like Leonard Nimoy, like what you think of like just like – it's a dude. It's Leonard Nimoy. He's a guy, right? He's a human being. We're going back to like um, Dracula Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> we had in season one a little bit in this one. He's, they're, they're doing the makeup again. He's got a little – it's a little heavy. But yeah. <laughs> St. Germain neither confirmed nor denied anything that was said about him. Was he 100 years old? 200? 2,000? Damn. 
He spoke at least a dozen languages so fluently he would have been accepted as a native wherever he went. But where was he really from? Portugal? Egypt? Atlantis? Whoa! Atlantis? Holy shit. I know. Wow. If this guy's from Atlantis, that would explain a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The Carpathian Mountains of Transylvania have many hidden legends, like of Dracula, as we learned in the Dracula episode. One might have been Saint Germain. When Prince Franz Rakoji lost control of Hungary in 1771, his two sons were held in Vienna. And his name is actually Francis II or Franciscus II Rakoji, not Franz. They keep calling him Franz in this episode. (laughs) Maybe they're on personal terms (laughs) (laughs) it was weird because i knew i couldn't remember how to spell the name i knew the name but i couldn't remember how to spell it when i was looking it up since i couldn't spell it i was just doing like franz and hungary and then i kept getting like franz joseph stuff and i'm like no not the right person so i was finally able to find it but yeah he's not franz he's francis or franciscus the second so a possible third son may have secretly made his way to florence where he lived under the protection of the House of Medici. That son was Saint Germain. <gasps> or might have been, if this is true. We're not completely Maybe. sure. Yeah. He may have also had the glamour and mm. put the moves on Madame Hairdo. Is that like yeah. Madame Pompadour. Pompadour? Okay. Yeah. That was easier to spell than Pompadour. So. <laughs> Pompadour is not a weird word, though. It's a word we use in English. Yeah, but I had to write it, and it's hard to spell, so I just put Madam Hairdo. <laughs> okay. So it happens when I write the notes. You get abbreviations periodically. That's so. fair. She relates that some of her elderly friends claimed to have met St. Germain up to 50 years before, and yet it appeared he had not aged a day. Whoa. Also, not good acting from Madame Pompadour, but definitely a better accent. Not a good accent, but a better accent. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I can't talk. My French accent is abysmal. So Yeah, but you're not on in search of pretending to be Madame Pompadour. <laughs> it's true. I'm not. Casanova was jealous of his rival's successes and claimed he was a charlatan. Oh. And or he just didn't believe this dude walking around saying he was like 200 years old and had an elixir for life or whatever i don't know and also probably jealous that he was taking maybe some ladies from casanova so yeah also possible yeah because he apparently entertained madame pompadour yeah yeah however despite attending many banquets saint germain was never seen to eat a single morsel of food he reportedly ate alone in seclusion and would eat very small meals that consisted of things like a bit of cereal, vegetables, and the white meat of chicken. Whoa. And if you guys remember, we talked about this in the Night Strangler. We did. St. Germain comes up when Kolchak goes to see the historian lady. Mm-hmm. And she tells him all about his weird diet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because he was so knowledgeable, people believed it was impossible that he could have learned so much in one lifetime. So he must have been immortal. I mean, that's how logic works. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy's really smart. He has to have been around for a while because I don't know that much stuff. Yeah, so he must be immortal. Yep. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Solid. 
Eventually, St. Germain had to escape because he was going to be arrested as an English spy and shot. King Louis apparently could not prevent that, even though he was very taken with this guy. So I don't understand how kings work. But yeah, I guess that was a thing. Yeah, because apparently his foreign minister was mad that he sent St. Germain to England to do some work, basically. And then so he decided he was going to arrest St. Germain. And then apparently the king couldn't do anything about it. And I'm like, well, if you were king, why couldn't you do anything about it? But yeah, so. Yeah, I don't know. That stuff gets super complicated and I don't understand how it works. Louis's foreign minister also spread ugly rumors about St. Germain that spread all across Europe and followed him wherever he went, even to Russia. Yeah, so basically 18th century Europe was like a really big like middle school or high school or something, which is cool because people just like went around telling stories about people. And then, you know, they didn't have the Internet. They needed something to do. (laughs) Yes. They didn't have Netflix. You know, they couldn't watch the Great British Baking Show. Spread rumors. In Russia, he helped Catherine the Great overthrow Tsar Peter in 1762. She awarded him the title of General Well Done, and we did not make that up. No, that is a title. Mm -hmm. Then we're told that his reputation made him welcome anywhere in Europe, which does seem to contradict the vicious rumor thing that we were told earlier, so I I don't know what's true there. Yeah, I don't know if they're taking from different sources and then just not realizing that they conflict or what's going on there. But yeah, it's like, oh, it followed him everywhere. No one liked him. And then he went to Russia and did this. And then he went back to Europe and everyone liked him. It's like, okay. All right. Weird. Yeah. He formed secret societies based around the occult and he warned monarchies of several countries that the fall of the French monarchy would come to them as well. Oh. Which he apparently also went back to France at some point and warned King Louis XVI that there was going to be a revolution like 15 yeah, because, years before. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, I was like, when I was listening to this, I was like, oh, so we must be at least now in like 1789 or 92 or something when, you know, the fall of the monarchy and the revolution, all that kind of stuff. But no, apparently these were predictions. Yeah. So he did go back to France and tell them, and then he went around Europe and was like, France is going to fall. Be ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then in 1784, word spread that St. Germain lay mortally ill in the castle of Prince Charles in Germany. And he again related the story that he was the third son of Francis Rokoji. St. Germain reportedly died on February 27th, 1784. Yeah. And of course, they say Franz Rokoji instead of Francis Rokoji again. But mm-hmm. And then when I was looking up, because I was trying to figure out who Prince Charles of Germany was, um, at first I thought it was Charles Theodore, who was the Prince Elector and Count Palatine. But actually, it was Prince Charles of Hesse Kassel who spent most of his life actually in Denmark and served as the royal governor of the twin duchies of Schleswig and Holstein in Germany from 1769 to 1836. And he was also the commander-in-chief of the Norwegian army from 1772 to 1814. So Hmm. he was really more of like a a Dutch person than a German person. But Mm -hmm. he apparently, for some reason, was named governor of two provinces or cities in Germany. And that's where, and he had a castle there, which is where St. Germain was hanging out. Mm -hmm. And then Leonard Nimoy asked if Prince Charles attended the funeral 
And Prince Charles, who is answering the question, says, why no? Now that you mention it, I was away at the time. (laughs) (gasps) Oh, my gosh. So he wasn't there to witness the death. Also, again, I kind of think this fake documentary style is kind of fun. (laughs) It's silly, but it's fun. I don't know. I thought it was Yeah, I mean, I guess it is. Yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) We're also told that there's no record of St. Germain's burial. We'll talk about that later. He was sighted 10 years later in France during the height of the French Revolution. And sightings continued well into the 19th century. And for some, they continue to this day. And you're probably thinking, oh boy, we're getting into crazy town now, aren't we? And yes, yes, we are. Yeah, and this is where Nick gets upset a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yes. mm -hmm. So we meet Elizabeth Clear Prophet. It's actually her name is Claire Prophet, but Leonard Nimoy says her name is Clear the first time, which is weird. He says words weird sometimes, I have to say. He does. I love him, but he does. Yeah. Anyway, she leads the Church Universal and Triumphant in Pasadena, California. And she looks like she leads a place called the Church Universal and Triumphant in Pasadena, California. She believes St. Germain speaks to the world through her. Okay. Well, that's weird if he's still alive somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's complicated. It's extremely complicated. The whole, like, I still live, it's more of a reincarnation thing with her than immortality. It's, like I said, it's interesting. She says who St. Germain is and what he has to say is, quote, a very important question for America and for freedom-loving peoples in every nation today. Mm-hmm. Mm, We're going yeah. there. I mean, search yeah, I don't, what are you doing? I don't know why that's important for me. I don't really find it important in my life. Yeah, and just that type of language, I mm, um, my alarm bells went off and they were not wrong. So, yeah. Apparently, St. Germain attended the Flame of Freedom in an ancient temple in Atlantis. And then Jorel sent him when he learned that Krypton, I mean, Atlantis, sorry, got a little confused there. When St. Germain's mentor learned that Atlantis was going to sink, he told St. Germain to travel to Transylvania to plant the Flame of Freedom. And I hate you, Nicholas Webster, because you're doing this on In Search Of. You should not be doing this. Anyway, Transylvania was in Hungary and is now in Romania. And apparently that's important for us to know for some reason. And the Flame of Freedom was important because it was the foundation of the House of Rakoji, which seemed to work out really well for them since they lost Hungary and then were put in exile. But, you know, hey, you know, Freedom Flame works out. Like Freedom mm-hmm. Fries, I guess, you know, Freedom Fries, Freedom Flame, you know, it's all that. Also, we learned that she's Mrs. Prophet. So oh. We'll talk more about that at the end. So, and then we have a commercial, thankfully. And I was so happy that it was a commercial because I really hoped that In Search of was then going to do one of those classic abrupt changes of topic. And we were done with Mrs. Prophet. She was just going to be this little tiny section of a crazy person. But no, we come back and there's a lot more of her. So here he does say Claire Prophet when we come back. And the Church Universal Triumphant is apparently doing pretty well because she lives in a fucking mansion. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
Apparently, after Jesus celebrated the first Easter by coming back to life and ascending, his dad took the Holy Grail to the British Isles, where St. Germain reincarnated as Merlin to hang out with King Arthur and his knights. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, okay. Follow, follow, follow along. That somehow allowed St. Germain to bring the teachings of Christ to the new world by then reincarnating as Christopher Columbus, who is she a super fan of because she is super smiley when she starts talking about Christopher Columbus. I so. know. This is where I was kind of banging my head against the table. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, eating. America and freedom-loving peoples. It's all part of that. That was why my alarm bells went off. Also, it seems that Atlantis sank near San Salvador Island, which is where Columbus is reported to have landed first, around the year 10,500 B.C., and that's according to her math, because she says 12,000 years earlier. So 1492, subtract, you get 10,500. Anyway, she's a crazy person in the worst way, honestly. Then she basically retells the entire episode that we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. And then says that his entire purpose was to warn Europe of the tragic fall of the French monarchy and the French Revolution. So we can kind of see what side of history she thinks is cool because she thinks it's a bad thing that the French monarchy crashed and the French Revolution happened. So mm -hmm. St. Germain apparently wanted to form a United States of Europe. So he contacted Napoleon to help him out with that. But then Napoleon apparently went power mad and he met his Waterloo. Oh, no. So, yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Then, thankfully, we meet Dr. Peter Ryle, a professor of European history at UCLA, and he has a different viewpoint, probably because he's not a crazy person slash con honor slash cult leader, and the show should not be giving that kind of person a platform, but it did. Anyway, he believes that St. Germain was a typical adventurer of the day, similar to Casanova, Cagliostro, and a whole slew of men in the second half of the 18th century who plied their skills toward milking as much money as possible from the aristocracy and wealthy families in Europe. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Then we meet Dr. Emanuel Oderberg of the Theosophical Society, and he kind of just says stuff. He's extremely yeah. boring and just kind of like platitude stuff. Yeah. Doesn't say anything very important, no. No, and not anything we haven't already heard, but like not from Crazy Lady, but other stuff. Ryle then says that these men weren't total phonies. They weren't like just total charlatans. They did have knowledge and skills. They just used them to obtain money through guile and wit. So, you yeah. know. Yeah. So they were good con artists like La Lamora, yeah. for example. Yeah. My cat is named after. Mm -hmm. Liza La Lamora. It's a really good book. You would like it. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Then we go back to Prophet, and she says St. Germain worked behind the scenes with George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin to write the Constitution <laughs> and create the Revolution and the Declaration of Freedom for the independent colonies. None of which happened in that order, by the way, but okay. I, yeah. <laughs> it's so <sighs> ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. She was just making shit up. Anyway, he apparently appeared on July 4th and gave a speech that talked everyone into signing the document because apparently they even though thomas jefferson had like wrote it and everything they were kind of like not really wanting to sign it apparently according to her and so he gave a rousing speech and then they all signed it like well i mean that all. is true there was a lot of debate about whether or not to sign the cons i mean that was a whole thing but it wasn't because of saint germain so yeah he's not the reason they well, all I mean, eventually did how do you know tori were you there i mean i'm not gonna say i wasn't 
Whoa. You don't know. Yeah, I really hate that In Search Of has given this woman airtime. Um, I know. I've just read yeah. Dave McCullough's book on John Adams and also 1776, which are also very good books. Oh. Okay. If you want to know more about that stuff. Not from people who are just making shit up about random people appearing and giving speeches. Yeah, I think she would fit in perfectly with modern day Republicans, honestly. Um, like yeah. all the way she talks and the words she uses are like straight up that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like just her 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 the way her like her speech patterns and like the cadence and like the I'm trying to think of what I want to say. Like just like her voice, like it's it's that thing that you're like whoa. Like like I said, alarm bells. Like as soon as she opened her mouth, I was like ding 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 ding, and I was not wrong. Mm-hmm. So. No, you weren't. Leonard Nimoy tells us that once again, the experts disagree on St. Germain. Yeah, and I'm sorry. There was one expert, and there was one con artist, and there was one dull, boring man. And I'm willing to bet that if they had any other actual experts, they would have found that they agree with him. So, yeah, there was not experts. The experts don't disagree in search of. Yeah, I don't think they do. Because there's only one expert on this episode. Dr. Ryle, who was the expert, says that claims of longevity was a common ploy used by those claiming knowledge of alchemy or magic. And then Dr. Oderberg, the boring guy, says mm-hmm. there are claims that St. Germain died in 1784, but there are memoirs of people who claim to have seen him after 1784. So he believes that's not when he died. But I mean, yeah. there are people who still claim to see Elvis. So that's not like proof. I mean, anything. that's different, Tori. That's that's different. Okay. Well, that's because the king lives. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Another reason why Halzer is bullshit, because he wrote books that supposedly were like the spirit of Elvis talking, but Elvis didn't die, so they couldn't be (laughs) the spirit of Elvis. There you go. At a Saturday service in Pasadena, people sing a song that's just saying St. Germain repeatedly. It's actually kind of annoying. And the prophet badly channels St. Germain who was also Uncle Sam, apparently, mm-hmm. and the flame of the Holy Scion in Jerusalem. And they cry out, Hail St. Germain, repeatedly with their arms outstretched. So, Yeah, good. totally a super good look. Yeah, they're all like, Hail St. Germain, Hail St. Germain, like to a big like tapestry that's supposed to be St. Germain, but looks like some weird doe-eyed biblical prophet person i don't know anyway but yeah it looks like a bunch of nazis saluting hitler is what it looks like but eh. and then leonard nimoy in his red velvet jacket tells us that evidence recently discovered in the library of the british museum indicates that saint germain might have been the lost third son of prince rikoji born in transylvania in 1694 if he died in 1784 he would have been 90 whoa I mean, that's that's impressive. I mean, it is kind of impressive, actually. But yeah, it's not like unheard of. And then he tells us that the average life expectancy at the time was 35. 50 was old. 90 was forever. Yeah. And that's kind of a misunderstanding of how life expectancy works. But right. Well, because what happened is in the past, children would die very frequently. Mm -hmm. 
And so when you average out the deaths, the average life expectancy is like 35 or 40. But if you look at people who survive like early childhood, that life expectancy shoots up to like 80, yeah. 90. What so it's it not like today. people, everyone only lived to be 35. It's, no, yeah. it's just yeah. that the averages were skewed because of. Yeah. Well, both the, I mean, obviously the infants, because the lower number would skew yes. the average even more, but then usually the mothers would die too. So yeah, in childbirth. Yeah. So that would also skew it. So, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, there was disease. So there was a lot more death. But then if you people still lived a very long time, if they were healthy and wealthy, especially because if you were wealthy, you could afford to survive. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of in a way similar to nowadays, like there is sort of a. um, Like a plateau in modern populations where if if you live like past 80 there's like a gap of time like it's about like 80 to 85 if you make it through that you have a pretty good chance of getting to like 100 or something it's like there's this little patch of time where like most of the mortalities happen in modern and i think it's kind of shifted a little bit because of stuff but yeah it's kind of like if you make it through this you're good and same thing back then just it was like if you made it through childhood you had a pretty good chance to keep on trucking yeah Um, exactly so yeah and then, because we just mentioned, like, 90 was forever, and Leonard Nimoy says, we can account for those 90 years with a reasonable amount of confidence. St. Germain's lives, before and after, however, are a matter of faith. And then it's a closing credit. So, again, not really closing narration. He's just talking. It's not no, really it's the, the, closing line. the narrations we were used to in the first season. So, mm-hmm. we've only seen two, so I don't know if this is going to be something that's going to happen for the rest of the season or if we're going to get back to closing narrations or who knows who knows so regarding the death of saint germain his death was actually recorded in the register of the saint nikolai church in eichenford he was buried on March 2nd of 1784, and the cost of the burial was listed in the accounting books of the church the following day. So, like, there are records of his death. They keep saying there's no record of his death. There are records mm-hmm. of his death. There are records yes. of how much his death cost when they buried him. So, and as Dr. Ryle mentioned, like, he's just like like St. Germain, Casanova, Mesmer, Rasputin, who we mentioned earlier. They're all those kind of dudes who just, like, they had a skill set. And they used it to do stuff, right? Yeah. So they knew a little bit about science, knew a little, you know, like you, you know enough to say things that people who don't know anything are like, whoa. And then you have <laughs> yeah. like natural charisma or, you know, whatever, just you're good at, you know, speaking and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it happens today all the time. Yeah. All, all so, the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as I mentioned, I obviously hated this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was looking for, knowing that it was going to be about St. Germain, I was looking forward to it because I read all the books. Uh, well, not all of them. We'll get to that. There is a series of books about Comte de St. Germain, which are vampire books written by Yay. Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough that I first discovered is as a short story called Cabin 33. And then I went and read some of the first few books that she wrote. And then I kind of fell away from that. Like, I kind of fell away from a lot of my interests at a certain period of time. And then I've kind of come back to a lot of them now. Um, apparently, the books kept coming. 
like well into the 2010s and there's almost 30 of them now oh wow um, yeah i'm kind of tempted but i'm also trepidatious because like it's really hard to maintain a level of quality for that many books honestly so yeah yeah and she did kind of do a little a little Anne Rice where she started getting some side characters from the books and kind of did a few books about them too, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So she was building a, she was building a universe, but it's, it's really good. I mean, it's based on like, he's, you know, he's the, the son of Prince Rakosi and he's, you know, all this kind of stuff, but it's that they're, they're really, at least the ones I read are really well written and I enjoyed them a lot. So. Yeah. You know, it's you know. funny. People used to always recommend her to me when I was in high school and looking for like vampire books. I think it was high school, maybe it was college, but people were always like, you should read these. And for some reason, I just never got around to it, which I don't know why not. I read Poppy Zebright and stuff, but for some reason, maybe I couldn't find them at my local library or something. <laughs> it's possible. Also, um, is... <laughs> she, like, just the St. Germain books are, like, there's 30 of them, right? And then, like, mm -hmm. a bunch of short stories as well. That's, like, a small percentage. She, If you look at her bibliography, she, oh, my. And she wrote, like, under, like, four or five different names. Yeah. And she wrote nonfiction with like initials because probably because she was a woman and so had to like use initials to make sure that people wouldn't you know that kind of thing but yeah she wrote in a bunch of different names and everything too so yeah she's got a ton of books it's crazy. yeah sounds like she's very so, prolific yeah so the summit lighthouse a spiritual organization was founded in 1958 by mark l prophet oh. who in 1962 married elizabeth claire wolf so she obviously became Elizabeth Clare Prophet. Mark died of a stroke on February 26, 1973. And upon his death, Elizabeth took over the leadership of the organization, changed his name to the Church Universal and Triumphant in 1975, and built it into a worldwide movement, which is impressive if it wasn't what it was, honestly. Right, no, totally. So. Yeah. During the 80s and 90s, she appeared on Larry King Live. Not surprising because he's trash. Donahue, Nightline, and a bunch of other television programs. However, her earliest media appearances, including a feature in the 1977 The Man Who Would Not Die episode of In Search Of. Mm -hmm. So In Search Of actually did give her a platform that probably then led to future yeah. television, unfortunately. She was also featured in 1994 on NBC's Ancient Prophecies. In the late 80s, she called her members to prepare for the possibility of nuclear war at the turn of the decade and encouraged them to build fallout shelters. So, yeah, she was that kind of, like, political, spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. So, not good. Much like Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. In 1999, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and moved to Bozeman, Montana, which means that we lived in the same town at the same time. Oh, fine. Yeah. My wife I thought and I you were going to find out you were like related to her or something. No, 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 no. We just lived in <laughs> Bozeman together, which is not, a, which is not a big town. No, um, no. Yeah. But my wife and I left Bozeman at the end of 1999. And actually we ended, we were driving through Las Vegas towards my hometown of Hammer, California at midnight on December 31st, 1999. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Prophet died in 2009, 36 years too late in my opinion, at the age of 70 in Bozeman, Montana. She was born in 1939, and I'm not saying there's any connection with that, but I'm just saying she was born in 1939 when some other stuff happened. Anyway, 
I've also become really interested lately in whether people die before or after their birthday in the year of their death. Huh. Um, it doesn't mean anything, but like the call of the red yarn is super strong. So it's something I've been paying attention to lately about whether people, obviously she died after her birthday because she was born in 39, died in 2009 and she was 70. So when she moved to Bozeman and I'm not sure why Bozeman, because apparently when she moved to Bozeman, she moved into like a care facility, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And then lived there like for 10 years. And I wasn't sure when she moved because it said like she, she got the diagnosis and then it later says like, and then after her diagnosis, she moved to Bozeman. And so I wasn't sure. But then when I was researching the church, they actually said that like she moved to Bozeman in 1999. So, so mm. yeah, so we did live in the same town at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Peter Ryle, professor emeritus of history, former department chair, and former director of the Clark Library and the Center for 17th and 18th Century Studies at UCLA, was born in Astoria, New York, on December 11, 1938. His research centered on the cultural and intellectual history of Europe during the 18th century Enlightenment, focusing on the interchange of ideas between Germany, Britain, and France, and the interdisciplinary relationship between science and philosophy. So he kind of knew what he was talking about when he's talking about St. Germain. His work was internationally recognized. He received numerous fellowships and held several visiting professorships in the U.S. and in Europe. He retired in 2011. He passed away suddenly on August 18, 2019, following a fall at his home at the age of 80. Oh, he died before his birthday. Um, he was actually working on stuff, though. He was actually in the middle of working on a book when he died. So oh, even though he retired, he was still he was still doing stuff. Yeah. Professor Odenberg. I'm not sure he was a professor. He was a little hard to find information on, but I did finally find some stuff. His full name is Israel Emanuel Odenberg, and he died on September 18th, 2002, at the age of 89, also before his birthday, because he was born on November 30th in 1912. At 18, he joined the Theosophical Society, but resigned at his parents' insistence, and then he rejoined when he turned 21. He was employed as a pharmacist until World War II. He served in the armed forces in the Signal Corps, and then he became a journalist with the Australian Jewish News, and by the early 1950s was its editor. He was heavily involved in theosophical work in Australia, and he visited the theosophical headquarters in 1962, and was invited to join the staff. He donated most of his large collection of books to the headquarters. And when the Theosophical Library Center opened to the public in 1972, he was appointed research librarian, a post he held until the mid-1990s. And his life was kind of actually way more interesting than he was. So that's good to know. Yeah, I mean, some people just aren't interesting on camera. Or who knows, they might have just asked him the worst questions or, you know, said, hey, say this. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, he was also, what, 65 at the time, which, I mean... That's not necessarily something, but I mean, it could have been. He he looked, he actually looked older than 65 when we see him, but he would have been 65 in 1977. Mm-hmm. So well, I guess 64 at the time because his birthday is super late in November. So, but yeah. 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 That's it. That's all I got. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I'd... it's just very clear that this guy lived to be 90 years old and tricked a lot of people <laughs> into thinking he was way smarter. I mean, who knows if he actually... I mean, if that, because, yeah, we don't know if he really was, like, you know, the third son of Prince Victoria right. or not. So if he was, then, yeah, it would he would be, have been 90. 
So, but like, who knows if he even spoke like twelve languages? Because like, if you know enough of one language, or people like, if no one at the French court speaks Chinese, maybe somebody does. But if no one does, you can just kind of say a couple words, and people are gonna be like, "Oh, he's fluent." Yeah, hopefully he wasn't doing that Ching Chong stuff. Oh, I mean, I I, I doubt. I think that's a newer racist <laughs> invention. But you know what I mean? Like you can you can just if you you know, you can say, Oh yeah, no, I understand Latin and I mean I guess Latin they might have more familiarity with, but still, I mean, if no one knows, you can kind of fake your way through some of it and no one's gonna be like, Oh yeah. Yeah, you could have a couple of phrases in your pocket that you pull yeah. out, you know, and make no it seem like you Yeah, if no one else is speaking it, it's not like you're gonna get tested. Yeah. So, so. Yep. Yep, Count Saint Germain, or as I know him, the Comte de Saint Germain. Yeah. I just think so. it's way more interesting to have these people be like con artists. <laughs> I don't know. That to me is more fascinating than somebody who like had some magical elixir of life and lived to be like five hundred. Well, I mean, like that that part is that part can be interesting. You know, the elixir of life was he a vampire? Was oh, sure. He just but... you know, an alchemist or whatever. That that stuff's interesting, but you get this person who is vile and then just is making just shit up what's interesting is in all the research i did on her saint germain does not come up at all it talks about her church and what it believed in and it's all the reincarnation and the the flame and all that kind of stuff no mention of saint germain at all yeah, well, I don't like, care about her anyway. I'm just talking about No, him. but I'm I like, was that just a thing she did to get on TV? Like, Possibly. I, I mean, she was also a con artist, and I do, I do find those kinds of con artists really interesting, too. That's why I really love the episodes of Ono, oh Ross, and Carrie, where they go investigate these people who claim to be prophets or claim to be psychics. Like, I just find that really fascinating. So... But I mean, she she does not fascinate me. She just kind of annoyed me because she's like, he was Christopher Columbus and he appeared on July 4th. And I'm just like, oh, my God. It's like, yeah, her underlying like belief system also is just vile in my Yeah, opinion. it's very much so, like American exceptionalism. And but then also she supports the monarchy and that was tragic. And I'm like, OK, lady, whatever. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this episode, I did think it was funny that they did the interviews with the cast as if they were, like, the actual people. I don't know. That amused the heck out of me. So the, for the first half of this episode, I was like, okay, this is fun. And then she came on and I was like, oh, okay. And then yeah. it's pretty much over after that. So, yeah. And then they make all these weird claims, like, no one lived to 90. <laughs> okay. Sure, whatever. Which I mean, Im impressive, right? If that is, then that's the case. I mean, that's 90 impressive. is, it is impressive for sure. 100% may we all But also, there. I doubt he was passing as a 40-year-old when he was 90. No, like, probably not. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yep. That's the Count of St. Germain. I like how they call him the Wonder Man of Europe. I've never heard that phrase before for this episode. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah, no, I did think this was going to be about Rasputin. Totally. Yeah, me too. Look at the yeah, title. 100%. And, then, like, when, oh. and then when I saw what it was going to be about, I was super excited when I read the little blurb. Right. And I was like, oh shit, Count St. Germain, sweet. And then, uh, yeah, but no. Hmm. Nope. Yeah. It was just kind of, yeah, it was like all the stuff. It's one of those things where like I knew all the stuff already in the first half. And then the second half, just like I said, it just, it just, yeah, it just, it hit me to my, it was, 
especially nowadays, that shit, I'm just like, no, I'm done with that shit. I'm not putting up with that crap. Just yeah. Shut up. So totally not give those kind of people a platform, which apparently, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm not saying in search of was the reason why she got a public platform, but she was probably seeking one out. Right. And so that's why she ended up on it. But they gave her way too much time. They did. And she didn't have anything interesting to say. It was just all nonsense. Like anyone watching is going to be like, no, that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. And and like, and she's like, she's a crazy person. Um, (laughs) And whether or not they picked up on the, the under side of what she is saying was mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. yeah also everyone in her church was white too um yeah i did not see any people of color in that church so yeah i'm pretty sure there was yeah let's stop talking about her so yeah i would yeah no yeah let's be done yeah. with that <laughs> okay i want to rewatch is hosted by tori and nick and there's something about Black Cat Studios and Orange Tuxedo Studios. I forget. I don't have it right in front of me. There it is. It's recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. So, yeah. Yeah. And episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. That's me. Yes, it's Nick. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, And the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. Our X-Files Adjacent feed is where we cover television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files Adjacent. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend. We'd be happy to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we try to figure out if If the the truth truth is is still out there. He was a brilliant violinist, accomplished painter, and his knowledge of ancient history. <laughs> I'm already laughing. Oh, fuck my life. Okay. Stop reading ahead, Tori. <laughs> he was a brilliant violinist, accomplished painter, and his knowledge of ancient history made listeners wonder if he had. <laughs> Damn it. One of those things. I'm going to start putting my things in a separate document. <laughs> Just, I thought the 
exact same thing when I watched it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, Nick is going to make a joke about that. <laughs> All right, hold on. Let me just whoa, calm down. Whoa. I haven't even had like a bunch of sugar or anything today. I don't know what's going on. It's a little crazy. It's a little crazy. All right.